everyone, you have reached NH Unscripted, where the arts come to chat. I am your host, Ray Dudley. We are coming from the not overly ostentatious studios at WKXL in Concord, 1450 AM, 103.9 FM. And for you lucky folks in Manchester, you can find us on 101.9 FM. We are also cutting edge, and we are on the interwebs at nhtalkradio.com. With me in the studio today is a good friend of mine and a top-tier actor. Do you prefer actor or actress? It doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so, all right, top-tier actor in uh, New Hampshire. Her name is Deirdre Bridge, right? Yes, yes, that is correct. Okay. I'm so glad you're here. I am so glad to be here. I'm going to cause trouble today. Oh, good. Yes. Do you feel feisty? Yes. Okay. I had a stream of consciousness. Oh, no. <laughs> what is your feeling about actors being compensated for performing? Not necessarily paid, but compensated. And I'll explain why in a minute. Um, that, that, my answer may vary mm-hmm. <laughs> depending on a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Um, I think in some ways actors should be compensated in as much as their time is valuable. And, um, New Hampshire is known for its sort of varied theatrical life that um, I think draws a lot of tourists to New Hampshire. And I think there's some venues that do make quite a bit of money um, towards their bottom line on well-attended theater. But I also think that labors of love don't necessarily have to be monetized. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that sometimes if decisions are made purely based on money, bad decisions are made. Oh, good point. I mean, I think there's a lot of theaters that have to make decisions based on what draws ticket goers, right? Just to stay alive. But does that mean that they're doing things that um, haven't been done a thousand times before and mm-hmm. maybe they could venture out? So, I, I mean, I think there's a balance. I think there's a place for actors to be compensated. And certainly there should maybe be places that are actual professional theaters <laughs> where, you know, where people are valued as that's their work, you yeah. know, and, and those people should be paid. But I do think there's also a place for actors who do it as a labor of love and don't necessarily want the pressure of being an employee of some sort. Okay. That's a good jumping off point. Let me explain. I'm really good at waffling, right? Just oh, you are? Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. that's good to know. Let me explain how I arrived at this. For people who do not know, um, at least in New Hampshire that I'm aware of, most Amateur or non-professional actors do it as a labor of love. Mm-hmm. I have been in productions. Let's use musicals as a focal point. I have been in those productions, and I have. What happened was this actually happened years ago. I was the lead in a musical production, and I found out that. They were paying the director, they were paying the choreographer, they were paying the music director, they were paying the musicians, they were paying the light guy and the sound guy. And I thought, huh, that's interesting. None of those people are the reason that folks are coming to the play. 
You, nobody looks at a poster and says, oh, look who's directing. I'm going to go see that play. Nobody does that. Nobody does it because of the choreographer. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh, this is very interesting. You've not even offered to buy me a cup of coffee. You've asked me, especially in a musical, in community theater, to invest eight to 12 weeks of my time. And you've not offered. As a matter of fact, in some cases, they actually require you to pay them to be involved. It's yeah. like a fee a membership fee yeah that's nutty i i see where you're coming from i think there is definitely a culture of community theater where the directorial staff whether it's the director the music director the um the choreographer expect some sort of a stipend they expect a stipend right and the actors have learned to not expect anything exactly and right. Yeah, i do think that in those cases there's a a a weird balance of economy that doesn't really make a lot of sense. Um, And I also understand that some places do charge a small production fee of everyone involved, not just in the production, but maybe a yearly fee. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's warranted. There may be an organization that owns its own building and has taxes to pay and Mm -hmm. has insurance to pay. And that covers you while you're in the building and you maybe pay it once a year. And I kind of get that. I do not understand especially some newer companies, especially ones geared towards child performers mm. that charge upwards of $100, $125 per production. I hadn't heard that. Yeah, yeah. Now the, my hair's on fire. Yeah. And I can remember, too, um, having sort of been out of the game for 10 years or so and then moving to New Hampshire and discovering that some theaters that do pay the adults then charge the children to be in the shows because it's a learning experience. And in that case, I felt like, well, the kids are paying the adults then. And what? That's crazy talk. It's like <laughs> so, reverse child labor. Yeah, what yeah, yeah. That's kind of what I thought too. Yeah. I mean, they call it, you know, learning experience or an internship or a camp or a whatever, but then they're paying the adults that are in the shows. And I thought, well, that's not right either. That's I don't know. Backwards. That's yeah. so wrong. I mean, I <laughs> years ago, I had a company, actually, they needed help. They needed, they somebody couldn't make it. And they said, you know, can you fill in? And I said, yeah, sure. I'll be happy to do it. And then they said, okay, now you owe us $20. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) What? What did you just say to me? (laughs) They said, well, it's the dues for, I I said, but you just asked me to help you out. You're, it's not like they had a 10 seat theater. Yeah. They were performing at the Audi. What's it seat? 500 people? More than that, maybe? I mean, come on. 770, I think. Oh, my God. (laughs) Seriously. And and I had to pay them. And they put it under the umbrella of insurance. Well, you know, what if you get hurt and all this? I'm like, well, can't you cover it? (laughs) How is that not built into your budget? Yeah. And And there's some companies, too, that pay some people and don't pay everyone. Um, in terms of the performers, which is also not fair. Now, I've been one of the receivers and one of the not receivers in that yes, case. I but both too. times, I think it's kind of not fair. You know? know, like I've been handed, oh, this is sort of a not a paid position, but we'll see what we can do, sort of an agreement. And then the day of a closing show just sort of like surreptitiously slid a check for a couple hundred <laughs> bucks. And I know there's maybe a handful of people getting it and some people that yeah, are unaware. I and know. that's not cool. I know. I know. And. And I, I get that it's community theater and it's kind of like, you know, your bowling night or your softball league, but this is a little bit different. People don't go pay to see you bowl. 
They're not paying to see you play right field in a softball game. I would pay to see you bowl, Ray Dudley. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, there are actually very, very talented people in New Hampshire who aren't getting paid, but could have in another life maybe, like yourself, Kat in there, people who spend a lot of time honing their talent, you know, and to just expect them to give it to you. While your group is making, I don't know, $10,000 for $15,000 off of a couple of weekends performance. I get if you're at the hat box and it seats 90 at max. But the hat box is one of the venues that does make an effort to pay the artists something, which is great. Well, they pay the group, right? They split it with the group. Yeah, yeah, to pay the group. And I think that's, I mean, I think that's sort of a great um, program. It's similar to what the Players Ring does, where... All of the money collected from the tickets is split percentage-wise between the house and the producing party. And then it's up to the producer to determine how that money is, yeah. is allocated and used. And I think that's great because even if it just gives you gas money. I, you I know? agree. But sometimes it's a pretty good amount. I did a, a production of Christmas Carol at the Players Ring a few years ago. We did, 20, I think, 20 or 23 performances. Oh. It was because we had Wednesday nights and we had double show days on Saturdays and Sundays. And they packed that little tiny theater every single every single performance. And, you know, we all got a good chunk of change at the right in time for Christmas. That was really nice of <laughs> Which them. was nice. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, mean, I don't know. I, I guess I, I understand it on one level. Because they just assume you want to do it for fun. I get it. But I think times are changing a bit, you know. Um, it's not just like, you know, Uncle Joe's doing something and, and you know, we're going to go support him. But the, if you figure an actor is doing the singing, the dancing, they're doing the, the performing, and a lot of times in a group they're asked to hang the posters bring, invite their family they're going to put it on Facebook Snapchat Institute I mean come on and in some of the groups that don't have large storage facilities or have their own um, property sometimes the actors even have to costume themselves good point you know like you're spending money on character shoes and and the right kind of dresses to look like you just walked out of you know a 1930s nightclub or whatever <laughs> that's not cheap it's not cheap <laughs> <laughs> oh my God! I hear the music already. I've got happy feet, and my God, how can that be the first eleven minutes? That's crazy. Okay, we've probably lit a few people's hair on fire this morning already. You are listening to NH Unscripted. I'm your host Ray Dudley. You can find us on WKXL fourteen fifty AM, one hundred three point nine FM in Concord, New Hampshire, and one hundred one point nine FM in Manchester, and on the internet nhtalkradio.com We will return with Deirdre Bridge Be back (laughs) Welcome back to NH Unscripted I'm your host Ray Dudley We're in the studios of WKXL at 1450 AM and 103.9 FM in Concord 101.9 101.9 FM in Manchester and on the internet at nhtalkradio.com. At this point, I want to thank our sponsor, Lakes Region Fence. Those folks are incredible. They are busy. They do exemplary work. They're good friends of mine. Give them a call and they answer their phone. 
You hear that, plumbers? You hear that, electricians, all you contractors? Answer your phone. And if you get a message, they'll call you back, too. I know that for a fact. Well, I have been excoriated during the break (laughs) over a topic I brought up earlier. And we need to balance it out is what uh, I have been instructed to do. Deirdre, why don't you take that side? Sure. Well, during the break, we were talking about how... um, we don't want a bunch of actors naked on stage emoting in the dark, which is what you get without a crew. And arguably, the people who do the technical aspect of theater have quite a bit of expertise that does not come free, does not, well, sometimes it does come cheap, but it doesn't come free, and there's not enough of them to go around. There's plenty of actors. There's not a lot of lighting designers. I hate to say it. Man. What do you think, Ray? Uh, I'm going to semi- Say, okay, I get that. I, I get it. I get it. But there aren't a lot of actors who can draw an audience necessarily. That's true. Um, and, and I do think, look, th- this also goes to my point about looking at posters. And I don't know where this comes from, maybe the film industry, but you know, you look at a poster and it says who's directing it. I don't know anybody, anybody who go- says, you know what? I didn't know that he, they would direct. I'm going to go to that. They don't go there because of the director. They don't go there because, oh, look, who is the, the choreographer? I don't know where that comes from. Why not put an actor's name on the poster? They're, they're known in the community. They're known for those are the people who are you're in asking them, taxing them to bring in people. I bet you've been on a poster, Ray. I don't think I have, to be honest with you. Well, I wrote my name on a couple. But... <laughs> <laughs> but but. Yes, I do agree. A lot of times the actors are the draw. I mean, sometimes just the title they are is the, the draw. draw. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, unless, unless it's a title of a play. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, like they're about to do Sound of Music up there at the uh, Colonial. And people will go see Sound of Music and they'll go see Annie and they'll go see, oh my God, Mamma Mia for the gajillionth <laughs> time. Um, but, and I get that. I, I just wanted to get that off my chest. You know, it just seems unfair, a little unbalanced. And, and I know companies have to make money and I, because they got royalties to pay. They have to rent the house. And I, I get that. I the get royalties, that. especially for musicals. I don't think people realize how expensive the Good royalties point. are for musicals. Good I did the rights and royalties for a few years for the Community Players of Concord. And it's really astounding. I mean, it's they're six, seven, eight times more expensive to produce just for the royalties. Um, never mind all the other. Give us an muscles. example. What could it cost um, us? Well, for a straight play, you may pay, depending on the size of the venue, you may pay anywhere from 75 to $500 per performance, um, but usually around $125 per performance. That's per night. So if you're doing the show five times, that's times five. If you are doing a musical, it may be seven, eight, nine, ten, ten. It's considerably more. It's considerably more. (laughs) Um, So if you're running just one weekend, you know, that could be a $2,800, $3,000 price tag just on the rights to that show. And and the royalties vary, right? Because it can be a flat fee or it can be how many seats are in the house. Yeah, yeah. Generally speaking, uh, straight plays are a flat fee, although there's some some exceptions to that if it's a very large venue. Um, And then... 
it's it's generally taking the house into consideration for the musicals. But yeah, they're they're very expensive. And also, I think you could argue that some audiences go to a particular performance because of the producing company too. Like some companies have followings. Good point. Right? And so some of the money that they have needs to go towards the bells and whistles that make a production look special. So they're spending a lot of money on costuming or they're spending a lot of money on a set. And that really doesn't leave a lot left over to compensate the actors. But now we get back to who's drawing the audience. And that's where you get those inequities of those people being slid a check and the other people not getting paid. A cup of coffee, some (laughs) gas money. Come on. It's not like I'm asking for union dues, you know. All right. So now that we're, thank God we don't have open lines and people... (laughs) (laughs) I'm giving out Ray Dudley's cell phone number right now. (laughs) Okay, well, I I set you up for that. So, Um, did you go see Virginia Woolf? I did not. You did not. I I did not. And I are you embarrassed to say that? I'm embarrassed to say it. I've been looking forward to it for months. It's some of the. It's arguably the four best actors in. Yeah. New Hampshire, yeah. right? Like yeah. you couldn't really build a better cast right. than what they had. There is no better cast right. Right. than what they had. And there was a lot of stuff going on with my kids and my daughter graduated from high school one of the weekends and mm. there there is a lot happening and sometimes you just can't make it. You I just know. can't. And it killed me. Um because really those are four of my favorite people to watch on stage. Oh my god, you missed such a great show. I mean, it it's depressing. It has you questioning the value of certain relationships. But it's and, gritty and it's beautiful yes. and it's so beautifully written. It's I am very sad. I am yeah. very sad. They did a wonderful job, and you're right. The cast was just exemplary. I had said to um, I had Alex Picard in here the other day, and I said, you know, the unfortunate part was Emily Carell was in it, but the part is so poorly written for her. Mm. It, she did everything she could with it, as you would expect her to. But it's just, it, it, it under showcased her, yeah. her talent. Yeah. That, that was a downfall. And I think that's just partly the part of it that maybe hasn't aged as well as the rest of it. Um, you know, because she's a sweet, young, sort of naive <laughs> yeah. person, you yeah. know, and it's it, it doesn't give you as much meat as some of the other yeah. roles, the other three roles do. So that's a classic play. Are there any other classic plays that you would ever go to that you'd make a I gotta go see it. You just carve out time. To... I mean, well, yeah, but am I lying? Because I said I gotta go see that, and I didn't go see it. Well, <laughs> okay. Um, hmm. So yeah, there. I mean, there's certain ones, but I have to say that I am. I I think because once you get to a certain age and you've seen a lot of classics done a few different ways, I personally am really drawn to see kind of weird stuff. Oh, you are. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I I tend to go see things that. Uh, no one else maybe goes to yeah. see. I've been in an audience of, you know, 12 before. <laughs> Three of those. One was the director. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and the other people were the parents. Stage of the, manager. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, I, I just, um, I went, during that conversation with her, I was saying they just don't do them. There's just classics that people just don't do. And I don't know whether they're afraid of them. There's things like Night of the Iguana, The Long Day's Journey Into Night, stuff out there, Sam Shepard stuff that they just tend to dance away from for some reason. Mm-hmm. But I, I think they somebody's got to do them. Mm-hmm. I mean, Glenn, Gla- Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, mm-hmm. and nobody does it. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they're afraid of the swearing. I don't know. You would think there'd be like a little black box theater somewhere that... 
you know, folks could would want to do that in, you know? Maybe they can't think they can't get the cast. I mean, Virginia Woolf was rich with talent. Mm-hmm. I mean, they just had more than they needed. It was just, it was wonderful to see it. But I don't know why they don't do it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to leave that topic there. Um, I, I wanted to get, one of the reasons you're here today is because um, I started a series um, about the seven-day plays. It's not just because you enjoy my company, Ray? Yeah, it is, but you didn't bring coffee. Ah, so. Dag nabbit. <laughs> um, can you, so that the audience doesn't have to, the listening people don't have to listen to me ramble on all day long. Can you tell us about the seven-day plays, what it in- involved, and then we'll get into questions about what you thought about it. Sure, sure. So the seven-day play festival, as produced by um, Aaron Campagna at the Hatbox Theater in Concord, was a, a first-time adventure um, where on Friday evening, right? Was it a Friday evening? There was a meeting Yes, among all of the people who had been invited to participate, actors, directors, and playwrights. And there were two seasoned directors and two newbie directors. And then there were two first-time playwrights and two seasoned playwrights. And they were divided into four teams where seasoned playwrights were paired with new directors and new playwrights were paired with seasoned directors and they were given a cast at random right. of either two or three people per play and then some prompts, which included a line of dialogue. Right. you got to start somewhere. And Oh, there's the music. we oh got to end somewhere. God. we got to end somewhere, Ray. <laughs> wow, what a hook for people to come back. All right. All right. So I got my dancing shoes on. Here's the music. You are listening to NH Unscripted. I am your host, Ray Dudley. In studio with me is Deirdre Bridge. We are at WKXL, 1450 AM, 103.9 FM in Concord, 101.9 FM in Manchester, and on the internet at nhtalkradio.com. We're going to come back because we got to finish this conversation. Welcome back to NH Unscripted, where the arts come to chat. We're chatting today with Deirdre Bridge. I am your host, Ray Dudley, and you are listening to us on WKXL 1450 AM or 103.9 FM in Concord, or maybe perhaps you're 101.9 FM in Manchester, or maybe you're hearing us streaming on the interwebs at nhtalkradio.com, or maybe you're hearing one of the archived episodes. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I want to thank our host, I mean our sponsor, um, I'm, I'm the host, <laughs> our sponsor for this uh, br- uh, broadcast, uh, Lakes Region Fencing out of Guilford. They do wonderful, wonderful work. They're very good friends of mine, and I am so grateful to Matt and his crew for all that they have done and for supporting us. Deirdre, we were talking about seven-day plays. We were. And we left them with quite a cliffhanger, didn't we? Yes. Um, so, yeah, they, um, the four teams were split up with the two newbie directors and the two seasoned directors and the two newbie playwrights and the two seasoned playwrights. And they were given a prompt and a line of dialogue. 
and a cast at random and then sent on their merry way where they had 24 hours to write a play. Which to me is, I was nervous being an actor. I cannot be asked, being asked to be a, an author or writer and come up with a play in 24 hours. No, uh, no, I no. And I was really good at doing my homework last minute when I was a kid, but that's a different story. Oh, come on. So, that's, yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. I mean, I think in all, all things considered, it was probably hardest for the playwrights, right? They had that one day to just drop those words on a page and then let it go and see what happened. Yeah. And then once we rehearsed, no, we had we had six full days, right? We had six mm, Monday almost. through Friday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We because had, so oh, it was Saturday morning. Whenever oh, it was met. Saturday morning, not Friday night. That's they had correct. 20, 24 hours to write the play, so they handed it off Sunday afternoonish, mm-hmm. and we all kind of got to see it. And our first rehearsal was on a Monday. Yes. So we had Monday through Friday to rehearse. Saturday was the performance. Yeah, and the tech week right. also was that Saturday morning. <laughs> that day. <laughs> Right. Tech week, week was, was an that? hour on Saturday morning. <laughs> um, yeah, so that was that was quite something. I mean, I think there's something to be said for being pressed for time, right? Where you just yeah. you have to make decisions. You yeah. just have to make decisions and stick to it and just go with your gut. Did you enjoy the process? Oh yeah, you did. I thought it was great. Yeah, I thought it was great. I think in particular we had such a weird piece to work with. It yes. was so unusual that we could explore it a little more, mm. and it was. It was easy to avoid sort of just falling into a trope, right? Because there was no trope. (laughs) There was no no (laughs) expected way to attack that piece. Yeah, yeah. And that was really fun. And it turned out to be very collaborative. Yeah. um, um, Oh, yeah. Thankfully. Yeah. Um, I think the, uh, when we showed up for our first rehearsal, in our case, we we had no idea where to go with this thing. Right. Peter wrote this esoteric piece that, was wonderful mm-hmm. and brilliant. It was beautiful. It yes. was a beautiful piece. Yes. But it was the craziest thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, we had a woman giving birth to a hat. <laughs> we had a, a dancing cat. Fox. That, that was a fox. fox. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Jennifer. <laughs> and, and and yet it was philosophical. It had a moral story to it. He He somehow put all of this information into this little 20, 25-minute play, mm-hmm. which we then had to unpack and strip off layer by layer, even as we were going on all week long. Yeah, we found a, a fox, a balloon, and a hat, and we turned it into, oh my gosh, Peter just wrote the entire human experience in 20 minutes. How did he do a that? A fox, a hat, and a balloon. It's like the beginning of a really bad joke, oh, right? A fox, minimized. a hat, and a balloon walk into a play. We have minimized the human experience <laughs> to three props. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! So, um, how do you think the whole thing turned out? Uh, do you did did you like the experience? I loved the experience, and as as someone who got to see the plays, right? We kind of got yes. to see them backstage on the monitor, and then we could sit in the house for the ones that came after, uh, or stand in the house. I think it was really cool that just by chance, four very different pieces emerged. Like it could have yeah. been four, you know, yeah, four detective comedies. Right. It could have been four, right. you know, dramas about family. And they were so different from each other. But it was so fun to watch. You know, it was really fun to watch. I and think, 
good. I think Aaron assembled a really great but varied team, right? It was yeah. not just one note. It was people who were all talented but brought different things to the table. I think and I think was that awesome. was the key, right? Mm-hmm. So you had you had these wonderfully talented directors, the, the two directors. You had wonderfully talented two writers mm-hmm. and then to support the others who had never done it. Mm-hmm. And underneath all that or along with it was this he handpicked actors who who had talent and ability stage presence none of them were were like weak or just off the street somebody who's newbie and thankfully because i think that really helped a lot of it Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um the um peter i cannot believe peter was the first time author I can't believe it either. Peter's done a little of everything and he's yeah. really good at everything that yeah. he tackles. And yeah, that really surprised me that he was a first time playwright. And his play turned out to be, in my opinion, just unbelievably mm-hmm. wonderful. Mm-hmm. Um, the other um, uh, playwright, a uh, new one was Carrie L. Mm-hmm. She creates this comedy. Oh my gosh, it was so funny. Huh? Yeah, it was like zippy zippy one liner after one liner. Oh yes, yeah, I was roaring. I and I had seen their tech earlier in the day, mm-hmm. and still it was just had me rolling. And yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the um, do you think you would have, if you were in charge, would you have altered anything like the timeline or or uh, the way the props were were picked or chosen or? Is there anything that you would have done differently? I know they're coming out. I, Aaron and I talked to, they're enlarging it next year. They're going from four to six. Oh, I didn't know it was getting larger. Um, I don't, I don't think I would change anything. I, at least I'm not smart enough to know what to change. Mm-hmm. Right. And I sometimes say that I'm not a, I'm not a big picture person. I'm an actor. I have to just pay attention. What do I have to do? <laughs> oh, tell me what to do. And now I'll do it in relation to these fabulous people and try to be as generous as I can on stage. Right. Like, um, but I don't have to attack a big picture like that normally. So, yeah. um, yeah, I don't think I think it was really well put together. I really do. And I think it was brilliant to pair a less experienced director with I do uh, too. with experienced playwright. And I that was too. that was a great idea to huge. do that. I think yep. it was yep. key, key yep. to making it balance out well. Mm-hmm. Who do you I know you said that you thought the writers probably had one of the the largest tasks. But do you think do you think the there, I mean, you've got a director who's being handed a play that was just written, mm-hmm. just written, with a cast that they're hoping they can put this up in five days. Who they did not choose. Correct. <laughs> so do you think, was there one part, that you, one component that you thought really had a more stressful um, situation well, I, I mean, I guess you can look at it a couple different ways, right? I'm a little bit of a control freak when it comes to what I'm doing or what I'm working on, whether okay. it's like the dishes or a play or whatever. Um, and so to me, the playwright was difficult because then you have to you have to turn it over, mm-hmm. right? You, you make this piece of art and you may want to look back at it or or help with the workshopping process or something and they just sort of like turned it over. Yeah. And then the director has to untangle it all. So the director may have been under more pressure, right? Just mm-hmm. for that reason that it may reflect on them what they end up doing with this piece. But maybe if I had to change one thing, I would say plan on the cast and director working at least one night with the playwright. 
I think that might be helpful. And I think when you have a a brand new play that's Mm. being workshopped in a professional theater, you have that opportunity, right, to collaborate with the playwrights. Mm -hmm. And I think maybe that would have been helpful for the playwrights who had to give up this piece that they just created. Mm -hmm. But it also might have been more helpful for the directors and for the actors to really hear directly from the playwright. What were you thinking? In our <laughs> right? case, yeah. What were you thinking? <laughs> uh, Carriels just killed me. That whole dog theme uh, that just blew me away. Oh, and the and and Greg's play with the the bear as the prop that became oh the main god. character. Yes, yes, and even um, oh my god, the one with um Ian where yes. he had to do that. Yes, just practically was a monologue. Oh, I'm gonna get in so much trouble for not being able to name them all, but um. I, they were, they were so vastly different. I so, I'm trying to formulate in my mind here. The the level it took on each stage. So you've got a playwright who needs to formulate a play. They have constraints. Um, I talked to Aaron. He said that you know it couldn't have elaborate sets. Had to be within twenty to twenty five minutes. The the playwright had to. They did audition their actors. They had time on that Saturday to kind of chat with them so they could find out their strengths, their likes, their dislikes. And, and then they had to work in the prop and they had to work in the line. So that was to me an enormous task. I think when I did, I did a twenty four hour play festival about eight years ago, yeah. and um, there are some things I learned from that that. I think inform my opinions about the seven day play festival also. Ooh. We'll have to talk about that You're later. You can share we, right? that? Okay. <laughs> Woo! Well, you can hear the happy music in the background. It's time to take a break. This is NH Unscripted. I am your host, Ray Dudley. Deirdre Bridge is in the studio with me today. We are streaming from WKXL 1450 AM, 103.9 FM in Concord. And 101.9 FM in Manchester. And we can be found at nhtalkradio.com. We got a lot more to discuss. We'll be right back. I am your host, Ray Dudley. This is where the arts come to chat, and we are chatting. We are in the studios of WKXL, 1450 AM, 103.9 FM in Concord, 101.9 FM in Manchester, and we can be found at nhtalkradio.com. In studio with me today is my friend Deidre Bridge. We are talking about the seven-day play project by Aaron Campagna. It was his um, idea, and he fleshed it out, invited us to participate, and we're chatting about all that was involved in that. What were the biggest challenges, do you think, in the whole thing? Um, I think, well, as an actor, I think the biggest challenge was making the right choice, right? Because you only have those few days. In the lines, you mean? In the, the- No, I mean in terms of like how you approach it, right? Like sometimes if you're rehearsing a play that you've read before and you've prepared and you're mostly off book and you have a couple of weeks to rehearse, you can kind of play with it, mm-hmm. right? You can play with it and you can go, oh, if what I did this first week was a hot mess and I want to completely 180 how I'm approaching this character or my scene partners coming in in a different way than I thought let's adjust this mm. right and let's let's meld it so that we're we're seeing things the same way but when you only have 5 nights 
you kind of have to start off a little bit on the foot you're going to end on because you don't have a lot of time to adjust, right? right? You don't have a lot of time to do that dance where you're backing off and coming forward or, um, you know, doing the scene partner dance. (laughs) Um, So I think the, the biggest, the, the biggest challenge as an actor was just sort of go making a choice and then running with it. And you, you're trying to memorize your lines at the same time. Yeah, it's yeah. It's not yeah. like you've sat on a script for weeks and right. you know you've had chance to like uh, assimilate it. Right. I well, for me personally, I I feel better sort of um, absorbing my lines on my feet. So that was not, and it wasn't such a long piece. Mm-hmm. So that wasn't so bad. Um, I think it was harder in our piece. It was probably harder for Jennifer because she had long monologues that didn't have interaction. Yeah. Right. So she just had to go, just straight from book to head yeah right um so yeah that was i think that was challenging and but i think the as i said i don't know i think the the playwrights that was tough yeah the whole it was amazingly collaborative Mm. amazingly i think for every group because doing this on the fly in five days where the director he only had 24 hours maybe to like really think it over He's being handed, uh, the the actors kind of bring their own idea too, right? So he has to look at that and work with what they're thinking. And, and, and in our case, the piece that Peter had written, it almost required some kind of philosophical level to kind of peel it apart and, and put it on its feet to, to boot. Mm-hmm. So I, I, it's, this was just an amazing project. I mean, if, an amazing project. Do you... I Aaron had suggested that maybe next year they may put it on at night. Do you think that will alter anything? Do you think that will affect it? Um, I think it might increase the number of people who come. I mean, but I don't I don't know if that's true or not. I have this I idea in my head that more people attend theater in the evening than yeah. on a Saturday afternoon, but I don't know if that's true. Yeah. Um I think it might I think it might even add to the nerves. I don't know. There's something about a, an opening of a festival of a new play that you only had five days to put on in an afternoon that has a little bit more of a relaxed feel to it. Mm. And I feel like a nighttime opening. Okay, this is it, guys. I don't know. It may add to the to the pressure or to the yeah. excitement of it. Um, but I don't know that it would change most of the experience. I know. I hate matinees. I hate them. I hate them. Yeah, just, I'm, not, I'm not a fan either. Ugh, it, it just... It's a tough time to perform, especially if you've been up late the night before, maybe rehearsing or teching mm-hmm. in a normal show. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the energy level's lower. You got to really reach deep. The audience is always kind of off, off. I mean, it didn't seem to be in this case because maybe it was just friends and family who had come. I mean, I don't know who else would show up to see a play done in seven days, but for the most part, they were friends and family. So it wasn't that that bad. But, you know, normally there's a lot of kids in the audience. To, yeah, and you wonder, are they thinking about, oh, I have to go home. What am I going to make for dinner? Yeah. Are, yeah, I know. Yeah. I've been in productions in matinees where th- th- there's people going to the bathroom in the middle of the show. Yeah. So the doors are opening <laughs> up. The light's streaming in. You know, and with kids, they're crying. They're cranky. It's hot. You know, they just... 
They're terrible, terrible shows. I know we need Don't to do Don't diss them. the kids, Ray. Don't diss <laughs> the kids. We want all audience members to <laughs> oh. attend our productions. Thank you. I get corrected so often. <laughs> you would think at my age, it's just, I would have learned something, something. You know what was interesting, I thought, was the, um, the prompts. I don't know if you've ever done a, a 48-hour film. You've probably done I a have. bunch of them, right? So they, they normally give you even more parameters, mm-hmm. more limitations, yes. right? Like this is your genre. This is your whatever. Yep. Um, what I was going to say before the break, was when I did the 24-hour in speaking to the playwrights when I did the 24-hour play festival a couple of years ago was that the parameters actually helped them because it, it helps if you have a vacuum and you go, you can do anything you want. Like, where do you even begin to come up with an idea? So having the parameters, while it can be limiting, it also gives them a jumping off point. That's an excellent idea. Um, and I also think we didn't have this collaborative sort of interview process that I recall when I did the 24 hour. Mm-hmm. And I think that was great. I think mm. that was brilliant to have that in the seven day. You know, it's funny. I'd forgotten about that where you not only in, in the film, you not only got your prompt and a prop or whatever, but yeah, they, they assigned you a genre. Mm-hmm. That could be an extra level that, you know, if you randomly picked it, just like they randomly picked their prop to their prop or whatever, that could be another level that Aaron could possibly look into because that you're right. That would actually force them, mm-hmm. confine them, which would maybe either be more difficult or more freeing depending on how you feel. I mean, if you're somebody who doesn't do drama very well and you have, you're forced into like a, a serious drama, <laughs> I'd freak out. I'd I would instantly have writer's block. Especially, and if you're a first-time playwright, that might be tough, too, because if you get an idea, you like, oh, okay, I just, I'm going to do this. This is the thing, and yeah. we'll see what happens. Yeah, and how would you shoehorn it into like that genre, right? Mm-hmm. But I think it could really work, could really work, if if it was done correctly. You know what I think, Ray? What's that? I think you should do a whole podcast about just doing new plays versus established works. What? Yeah. Maybe, you know. Kat, did you hear that? Maybe you can explore that sometime, what? Ray. That's a great well, idea. that's a whole level to the seven-day play Who would I festival? get to talk about it, though? <laughs> new playwrights who have never done it? <laughs> All the folks who have done it and want to be involved. But I, it's a good idea, actually. I mean, I think that's another layer of the seven-day play, right? Most of what we do in community theater and semi-professional theater are established plays. So the fact that we were just doing new works is really interesting in and among itself. Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you. Yeah. I, I agree with you. You know, it was um, really, really, I thought, came off very well with all four of them. You could not tell that they were first-time directors. Oh, no. You could not tell that they were first-time um, uh, authors. It, the whole thing was seamless. Mm-hmm. It came off so clean. Mm-hmm. I was really, really happy. I left there. I'm like, this was just a joy to be a part of. It really was. And I think that the finished product was, it's better than some shows I've seen that had eight weeks to rehearse. <laughs> I hate to say it, but. Are you setting um, me up here? Am I supposed to touch that rail? <laughs> Dang. Um, yeah, no, it was a great experience. It was just a lot of fun. Everyone was super supportive and and um, you know, trusting of each other, and it was just a great time. Yeah, I talked to Meredith about filming it and why they hadn't done it. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you heard that um, episode, but she had said they tried to, but whoever had had the uh, booth earlier, the SD cards were full. Oh no! Yes, they had two of them, and they were both full, and they could not um, tape it. 
which would have been wonderful. I mean, what a gift, especially for like the first time directors, first time authors. Yeah. To see. Did you talk to any of the um, authors afterwards? Were they happy with the way? The, I really only came? had a chance to talk with Peter. Yeah. Um, and I think he was very happy with it. He was tickled. And I think being a first time playwright too, just being tickled to see his words performed, you yeah. know, that must have been. I really would think fun. so. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And to see how that's handled, it could have been terrible. Mm-hmm. Well, Peter's also sort of a playful, experimental, and generous person. I think no matter what we had done with it, I think he would have been happy just to see how it changed from the page. Yeah. You know, because yeah. that's Peter's a very generous person. So Peter way. sets us up because we're in the interview <laughs> process. He's chatting with us. What do you, what's your strength? What do you like to do? Blah, blah, blah. He seems so happy. And then he leaves. And in 24 hours, we handed this play and we're like, what in the name of God is this? <laughs> and what a, does he tell us? He tells a, it, it comes straight from the interview. Yes, he threw it right back in our face and said, oh, well, I wrote that for you. I wrote that for you. I wrote that. And we're like, oh, my freaking word. I'll never talk to him again. <laughs> Don't ever interview me. My God. And I, I assume they all did it. Um, the... The idea of having the plays sandwiched with the two comedies at the opening and the close with the more serious uh, plays in the middle, I thought worked very, very well. I don't think you could have changed that and made that day better. Mm -hmm. I think they... um, it was a smart, smart move by Yeah, Aaron. I think that was probably one of the harder decisions to make, right, is what order to put those plays on. Yeah, and I don't know how long they struggled with it. Mm-hmm. I mean, but it... It was very important. Turned out to be very important because yeah. some of the stuff was kind of pretty serious. Yeah, you, know? you don't want to leave people with something heavy after like a sort of a light, fun afternoon. I know. Yeah, I know. I was supposed to talk with uh, Gary Locke the other day, and he just uh, uh, thought that it was still going to be by Zoom, and so he didn't make it to the the studio. Um, but his play was like I kept. I'm watching it on the monitor. I'm like, where is this thing oh, going? Yeah, it was a, like a sci-fi. Yes drama oh that was really it had mozart in it towards the i mean i'm thinking what what is this what's what's happening here gary is deep man i couldn't <laughs> gary believe is deep. it i had so i love working with gary i've worked with him a couple of times and um he directed bonita the play that i did at the hat box and working with him the things that come out of his head and his mouth are just a joy yeah are we are we are, i know yes we have to stop talking now. that's the music that's yeah so sad that that's the sad music <laughs> It sounds like the happy music from earlier, but it's the sad music. Deidre, thank you for being thank here today. Thank you so much, Ray. This was a lot of fun. Oh, my God. I it's so short. jibber jab all afternoon. <laughs> you have found NH Unscripted. I am your host, Ray Dudley. We are coming to you from the studios of WKXL in Concord, 1450 AM, 103.9 FM, as well as 101.9 FM in Manchester. You can find our program as long with all the other ones that you can enjoy and gorge yourself on like 2 a.m. in the morning at nhtalkradio.com. Thank you. We appreciate you listening to us. Have a wonderful day.